Hey everybody, Football Fact Check is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? It's true. Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app, Dave Damashek being one of them, and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. My favorite thing is the image you get of where, what your view of the field will be from the seats that you're considering buying. It's very helpful, super easy to use the app, and uh, doesn't take very long to complete the checkout. Just two taps, and uh, and you're on your way to the stadium, and uh, not just for sports, also music and theater. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets to go watch pro football or other stuff like I said, but mostly pro football. This is the Football Fact Check. Lamar pumps pass. Steelers corral Colts. Bolts blast Packers. Check the halls with boughs of holly. Check, 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 check. Oh, Cam the Songbird. That was a lovely tribute. Thank you, Cam, and hi and hello, and welcome football fans to another episode of Football Fact Check here on The Athletic. I hope Week 9 treated you well. I suspect about half the people within the sound of my voice would respond in the affirmative. The other half of you, I'm sorry, maybe you'll get them next week unless you're... Bengals or Jets or Dolphins. I mean, Jets are not worse than the Dolphins. I don't want to talk about the bad teams. Let's try to talk about the good teams. And uh, I did tell you that the Chargers were going to beat the Packers in Carson, California. And so it was. And before that, I told you on Thursday night, my team, the 49ers, so I told you in advance of the season, would win the mighty NFC West are still on track to do it. I also said that they would get a tough test from the Arizona Cardinals. I said they would win by three. How much did they win by there, Zuri? Uh, more than three. Three. No, they won by three. <laughs> no, they won it by was, three. Yeah. No, they won by three is what they won by. Um, and uh, coming up to break, uh, well, I, I didn't get them all right because I said that the Patriots would vanquish the Ravens and expose them a little bit. We're going to be talking with, from The Athletic, the Ravens beat writer Jeff Zreback in just a minute. And uh, also we're going to catch up with the author of the weekly NFL Power Rankings and uh, host of the NFL Power Rankings podcast here on The Athletic, Lindsay Jones. She's in Denver, and uh, so she probably had her eyes on that uh, hideous Browns versus uh, uh, Broncos matchup, an all-time eyesore. That was horrible. How are you, Zuri? I'm doing well. Actually, um, uh, you caught me off guard because we, we actually had to look up the lyrics to Deck the Halls to make sure we were getting that right on the intro, and uh, Cam nailed it, I think. He did. Yeah, yeah no, I listen, I can't uh, argue with any <laughs> adjustments he made to the lyrics there. I think it's actually an upgrade there. And look who's back after paternity leave for at least the last six weeks. It's Quincy. And hey, welcome back. The Lions are still the Lions losing in the East Bay, but how are you, Quincy? There's more to life than uh, than just uh, Matt Stafford. It's been an awesome six weeks besides the Lions doing so bad in the NFL. I mean, they come close every time, but hey, I got a daughter now to cheer me up every time it happens. Yes, muzzle tough to you on that one. Uh, I'm sure 
lots of good times in store for you. We had a great weekend at my place. Uh, we were running around watching uh, Jean-Claude Van Damaschek play his flag football game. He was a victor in that one, and he scored a touchdown. So it was uh, it was a banner weekend All right. for me. And uh, like I say, we hear that the Steelers, well, we know that the Steelers vanquished the Colts with the help of an Adam Vinatieri miss in the last minute there. This puts the Steelers in an interesting position in a uh, in what's going to be a really compelling race for the wild card, at least on the AFC side. Looking forward to chopping that up with Lindsay when we uh, when we get her on the line in just a few minutes here. The Bills would seem to be safe, but if you look at what they have left here, they're they've got a tough road to hope. They're not stopping anybody from running the ball. Adrian Peterson just ran all over them this weekend after the Eagles did it. A week before, and now Nick Chubb awaits them in Cleveland. I know the Browns have quickly returned to being a punchline after an offseason of uh, hopes and dreams, but I think that they are a pro football team. They can run the ball. That is not something that the Bills are doing a good job of. So circle that game because it could launch an even more fascinating chase for the wild card. And had Vinatieri made that field goal, then we would be talking about the Texans as a wild card right now because the Colts would be a half game ahead of them. Um, as it stands now, the Colts, Jacoby Brissett, it does look like he's going to make it. I think confidence-wise... Um, I my I was riding high at a ten that the Patriots would be a number one seed in uh, in the conference. I'm gonna still put it at a nine. I don't think that the win um, over the Patriots puts the Ravens in line. If you look at what they have in the second half of the season, there are a couple or a few losses that are gonna trip them up. Even if the Ravens, even if the Patriots were to lose two more games, that's not gonna be enough. Um, margin for the for the Ravens to close that out, and I don't think the Chiefs at this point are going to do it. The Texans aren't going to do it. So I think that we still wind up with the Patriots at the top, and my confidence in that remains at a 9 out of 10. Lamar Jackson, though, creeps up a little higher. I have Russell Wilson as my MVP at this point, but I'll put that now at a 7, and if the Panthers somehow get into the playoffs, playing a backup QB, Kyle Allen's getting a lot of the headlines, but Christian McCaffrey is obviously the X factor there. And if he can run them and catch the Panthers and, and uh, keep on doing what he's doing, it seems like he has two or three long touchdowns just about every week. Almost the one this week, he just ran it right up the gut for what? Like 70 yards. Sometimes he doesn't have to make a big move. He's just that much faster and stronger than guys that he beats them downfield. It's something to watch, but yes, I think Russell Wilson is still your MVP with that one pick, but Lamar Jackson creeping up and Deshaun Watson is worthy of some consideration guys who you won't hear buzzed about as, much Jacoby Brissett if he can get back and they can uh, win that division I think he has a shot but then also Derek Carr I know that we are having a, huff, a hard time uh, buying into the Raiders and but when I say we I mean football America I think we're skeptical of John Gruden we watched hard knocks for once when you come away from watching a hard knocks season not thinking well that, that team can't help but wait. generally speaking that's the phenomenon that occurs you watch them for five weeks and you feel like Oh, yeah, this team. I don't see any flaws there. And then they take the field and you realize that they're just one of any any number of other pro football teams. But this time I came away from it kind of tickled by the Raiders. And aren't they cute um, without Antonio Brown? But good for Derek Carr disproving everybody out there. You watch him and you fall in love. I remember when the Bengals were on Hard Knocks and Chad Johnson was on and he he, um, 
he explained that he just eats McDonald's and he just works off the McDonald's weight. And like personally, I've taken up that diet, and it doesn't work for everybody. I'll, I'll say that uh, you have to be a pro athlete. No, it has to not. Live I, that lifestyle. Not to these two eyes, it's not working. No, no, no. <laughs> you look, you, you look terrific, Zuri. Thank so, you. So, what do you think? Should we jump into it here? I think uh, let's dig in on the big game of Week Nine. A lot of big results there, but I, I don't think anything bigger that's kind of turned my view of where this season is going more than the Ravens. I mean, I, I, you know, I thought that they were about to get exposed. That's not the way it went. So let's talk about it right now with someone who was at the game, Jeff Zrebeck. <laughs> Jeff, how are you, man? Good. How are you? Well, not as good as you and uh, everybody there in Charm City after uh, after the big win. First thing, coming from a Pittsburgh Steelers uh, POV and fascinated by the the rivalry i you know the best rivalry in pro football for the 21st century certainly and so much of that has to do with the fact that those two teams the organizations are mere images of one another philosophically in the way they want to do things in broad strokes so why then do the ravens always seem to be capable of going toe-to-toe with the patriots Whereas the Patriots just constantly kick the Pittsburgh Steelers in the teeth. What's your what's your uh, sense of why that's the case? That's a great question, and you know I, I worked on a story last week about that old 2007 Ravens Patriots game where you know Bart Scott famously threw the penalty flag in the crowd, and you know that game was what kind of uh, you know the Patriots were undefeated at the time. That was a bad Ravens team who you know, was really banged up. And that game was kind of what was long cited as, uh, you know, the beginning of the end for Brian Billick in Baltimore. The Ravens did not behave well. Uh, you know, they lost the game late. And I talked to Bart Scott, and he brought that up, uh, that point. He's just like, you know, everyone says we're built in the same way as the Steelers, but, yeah, we've always we've been able to beat the, the Patriots in clutch games, and, and we're always competitive. We should have beaten them more times than we even have. Uh, he said it's kind of the way they they play one on one on the outside and just how they they're a little more aggressive. He felt defensively and they go at uh, you know the, the Patriots rather than trying to adjust to what Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are doing. They worry about the Ravens traditionally worry about themselves and look. This is what we do. This is what we're we do best. We're not going to give them that much respect. Where we're going to allow them to completely dictate everything uh that we're gonna do so i i mean you follow you know i see the Steelers play a good bit uh in person twice a year and obviously they're on tv a lot so uh but you obviously know them better um than than i do but uh i think the ravens stay true to themselves when they play the the, the steel uh, the the patriots they they, they they you know they go right after them they're aggressive uh, i think they've had the edge in physicality in a lot of these matchups uh, and, and that's really helped. And, uh, you know, they they always get up for that game, too. Uh, there's been a couple lopsided ones, but uh, you pretty much know what you're going to get when they play them. It's an interesting point you make, right? And uh, it is it, it does seem like the recurring theme in the Ravens' victories over the Patriots this century are the ones that stand out to me, the title game, of course, the year after Lee Evans slash Billy Cundiff, when I think it was the wild card round when uh, Ray Rice and company ran all over them in Foxborough. And then last night, I think, uh, um, has to make the list somewhere in there. And it occurs to me, or it occurred to me watching the game on Sunday night, that 
um, it was I, I, how remarkable the shift has been for the Ravens and John Harbaugh. And I thought it feels like about a year ago where there were headlines all over the place that by the end of 2018, Harbaugh and the Ravens were, have mutually agreed that they were going to part ways. That's right around when Lamar Jackson lands. And I looked it up, and in fact, it wasn't a year ago. It was 51 weeks ago, to be perfectly accurate. It was November 11th. And so, you know, I guess there's a message in there for the less stable franchises in there about, you know, go through the the undulations with a coach. Maybe you're better off to to ride with them. But, I mean, is John Harbaugh rightly, at this point, the the head coach of the year for committing as fully as he has to Lamar Jackson's skill set and building all the way around it. Yeah, I, I think he absolutely has to be in the mix. Um, you know, it's tough to dismiss, and and obviously they had a, a tough loss in Pittsburgh yesterday. It's tough to dismiss what Frank Reich is mm-hmm. doing when you look at all their injuries and the quarterback retiring on the eve of the season. Uh, you got an undefeated team in San Francisco. They're playing spectacularly on offense they've been great which obviously is Kyle Shanahan's you know bread and butter uh there's plenty of candidates there but but Harbaugh has to be in the mix he's been you know he said right away we're going to be aggressive and uh he's gotten some criticism for the amount of times they've gone for it on fourth down for what they did in Kansas City going for two-point conversions and doing all that but he hasn't swayed from it at all. And Mm. it's kind of set a a mentality of the team. I mean, they went to Seattle in a tie game. They had a chance to kick a field goal to take a a late uh, lead in the fourth quarter. And it was fourth and two. And he said, no, we're going for it. We're going for the touchdown. They get it. And they completely took over that game the rest of the way. Um, You know, yesterday I, I, I was, I was a little surprised how conservative Belichick was at times on fourth down and when to go for it, when to punt. Meanwhile, in fourth and four, uh, you know, the Ravens were in Tucker's range. It would have been a long one on a cold night, but they were there, and, you know, they went for it again, and, and Jackson hit Snead for seven yards, and they scored a touchdown and kind of broke that game open. His, the mentality that he's preached, we're going to attack with Lamar Jackson. We're not going to we're not going to stip it. We're not going to listen to what everyone says. You can't run with them. You got to be conservative. You need to do this. You need to protect them. No, we're going to take advantage of his skill sets and, and play every game uh, aggressively and go after teams. And, and I think you've seen it in, re- in recent weeks against two, you know, two really good teams, the Seahawks and Patriots and Ravens have just taken over the game physically. And, and it's been impressive. And, I think Harbaugh deserves a lot of credit and like what you said you said going all in with Jackson stuff I think the organization more than anything deserves a lot of credit for that because certainly it's been unconventional we've heard enough people say this isn't going to work and everything they've done over the last year or so has been trying to accommodate Lamar Jackson and put the best stuff around him and give him the best chance to succeed as a quarterback and uh you know, not every team would be willing to do that. Not every team would be thinking out of the box enough to do it. I mean, heck, they fired Marty Morningway because they thought Greg Roman was going to be a much better coordinator for Lamar Jackson and the kind of offense they wanted to run for Lamar Jackson. So, And there's many more moves than that. And I think Harbaugh and the entire organization have to be applauded for going all in on this. Man, I completely agree with you about that. It's not, yeah, it's not dipping their toe in the water. They are all in on this brand of ball. And 
uh, you know, full disclosure, I've kind of had it both ways where Lamar Jackson's concerned. I thought in 2018, you know, I thought Jackson should have gone higher. I thought the Bengals specifically made a mistake yeah. in in not grabbing him. Obviously, we see where they are. Um, and I thought that, in fact, I wouldn't have messed around with Joe Flacco at the start of the season. I would have committed um, at the start of 2018. But once he got in there and they devoted themselves to that brand of ball, you saw the results there and into this season. And I said before the 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 season kicked off that this knuckleball of an offense would succeed at least for one year. Now, the other side of it, me having it uh, both ways, is I thought that it would be diminishing returns. And specifically, I've said that a good defense, this is simplistic, but a good defense is the kryptonite of that offense. And, you know, I started to feel that about 20 to 25 minutes into the game. For whatever reason, pro football players still need to get a look at what they're doing and adjust to the speed of Lamar Jackson and the guys behind him. But right on cue in the second quarter, I thought, here come the Patriots, and and this is a good defense. Now they're catching up with it. And I, I wonder still, and it's hard to be cynical at this point, given where they are, the Ravens, but is it? Do you believe if you had to, you had to put, uh, you know, uh, your reputation on the line? Is this? Oh, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out stakes for for Zerebrek to put down uh, uh, on the line here. <laughs> that, that this is going to sustain itself sufficiently that they are in line for a division title that they can make hay if they get one of the buys. That this is a dangerous team that has a has a, a Super Bowl push in them. I think so, yeah. And, you know, I will say this, though, though. My caveat to that was I still think they need to add elements to that offense that we're not seeing enough of. I, you know, when you depend on these 13, 14 play drives, and, and uh, you know, the end result is beautiful. I mean, the, the other team walking off the field with their hands on their hips, there are other team star quarterbacks sitting on the sideline watching helplessly. And, and just you take control of the game. So that's all well and good. But those guys are hard to pull off because you get one penalty, set you back, mm-hmm. and you get a second and 20 or first and 20, whatever you want to look at it. You're digging yourself a hole, and you just have such a little margin of error when you're kind of ripping off seven, eight yards, and you're not really getting any huge plays. I think at some point they're going to have to become add a little more of a big play element to this offense that we saw early, but we saw it against the Dolphins and Cardinals, and we haven't really seen it since. And some of that is Marquise Brown not being healthy, and he played last night, but he's still not running all that well. I, I, I'm guessing he's probably close to 50% at this point. And uh, you got the Les Frank injury, and then you got a high ankle sprain. Now you got a hamstring. So he's kind of run the gamut there. Um, but I think they're going to need to do a little more. I think we're going to – we saw Mark Ingram in the passing game. I think we're going to see need to see a little more for me to feel confident that they can go on a run. I just don't think you can depend every game on Ingram and Lamar Jackson and running like they've been doing. So I do think they're need, they're going to need to get a little better in certain areas. But I think the capability is there. Uh, you know, So that's why I would have some confidence. Uh, that they can make a playoff run. But I think they can do this stuff. Last year, I didn't know if they could do this stuff with Lamar Jackson. I've seen enough this year in his improvements to while he's not going to be the most accurate passer, uh, a top 10 accurate passer in the NFL, and uh, they're never going to be uh, you know, a team that's going to be able to win in, in a, a throwing uh, shootout. 
but I've seen enough to know they can have different elements of the passing game to it, and they can make teams pay. I mean, look, the two key plays from last night, non-touchdown plays, obviously the Humphrey fumble return or whatever, but the third and five to Mark Ingram was a beautiful throw and catch, uh, and that was a key play that, you know, when that drive started, the the um, Patriots had run – had run like 19 consecutive plays to start the third quarter Mm -hmm. Uh, the lead was four points the Ravens defense was out of gas if they go three and out there Patriots very rarely can come down and score and we're talking about completely different results he hit he hit Andrews on a great pass pick up 18 on third and five then later in that drive he hits Willie Sneed on fourth and four so the two key non-scoring plays were were passes they can do it uh they we just I just need to see more of it uh, to feel good because there are going to be a time where teams are going to be slowing them down on the run uh, or their offensive line is going to be a little overwhelmed by a really good front and they're not going to be able to get, you know, five, six yards of pop carry and they're going to keep needing to grow as an offense, but they're way beyond where I thought they'd be. Uh, Dave, I mean, I looked at, I couldn't believe it. I mean, they're number one in points per game, and I think they're trailing only the Cowboys in yards per game. That's insane. I mean, we're not, it's not early anymore. We're heading into the second half of the season here. So their offense is way far ahead than I thought it would be at this stage, but I still think there's a tremendous amount of room to grow, uh, and I think they could do it. And they're a team that, you know, they're going to be a nightmare to prepare for with everything they do and Greg Roman's elaborate scheme. So, uh, yeah, that's why I, I don't, you know, every team, when you get to playoffs, you're always going to be a good team, a team you don't necessarily want to see. But they certainly provide some headaches uh, in preparation, and we haven't seen that in Baltimore in a while. They've, they've gotten pretty vanilla. I, I Listen, I'm with you. Exactly. I know the Joe Flacco five-week run, you know, is now getting fairly far in the rearview mirror, and that'll keep Ravens fans warm for a long time. But I'm with you, man. This is exciting. I grew up watching Big 8, you know, Barry Switzer, Tom Osborne, <laughs> option-style offenses. You're no stranger to it near Annapolis with what Paul Johnson was doing. That. That knuckleball is hard to prepare for and it's hard to rebound from um, as well. And, I, you know, I, I don't want to – listen, I'm not trying to insert the black and gold into this conversation, but I do feel like – well, first of all, I think the Steelers, if not for that roughing the passer call and or the juju uh, overtime fumble, this division looks a little bit different and feels different. But, you know, after the Bengals game, Texans at the Rams, Niners at the Bills – does that set up in your mind, and it really is more a question about the Steelers and where they are, do you think after that gauntlet for the Ravens and the Steelers have the Browns a couple of times and the Rams this weekend, do you think that Week 17 has any import for the Ravens in Baltimore with Pittsburgh coming there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, I've been, you know, we do a thing called AFC North Whip Around with the various athletic division writers. And every week it seems to be a question is there even a division race? The Ravens got this sewn up. And with them beating the Patriots, obviously the Steelers had a big win, but the, you know, the Browns lost again. And, um, you know, it, it's, they've opened up some, uh, some ground, the Ravens, by winning two games I don't think people thought they would win. Um, and I keep, reminding i mean look the ravens were dead and buried last year what did they trail the steelers by three games at mm-hmm. least two games down the stretch there uh and and Steelers falter and the ravens won the division ravens have too many tough games for me to think they're just going to run away and hide with this thing and, and you know look 
to their schedule after Cincinnati, and Cincinnati always beats them. I, and by the way, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Jeff. I, you know, obviously I know Tomlin's kryptonite is bad teams yeah. on the road. I don't know why he can't solve that this deep into his otherwise successful career, but it's weird and it's upsetting. To me, the smaller, it's more of a misdemeanor, but still, Harbaugh teams, this is my sense. I don't have the numbers to back it up. I'm far too lazy to, to do the legwork on this, but it has <laughs> always struck me that Harbaugh gets his teams up for big opponents in big profile games, and then there's a weird letdown after that. That is, we've seen that a number of times. I've always said the Steelers were his Moby Dick and uh, Flacco is Ahab, and they let down the week after, and they lose an outside. They would lose an outsized percentage of their games after Pittsburgh and and New England. Is that your mm-hmm. sense? Because I, I I kind of can see a case that as laughable as it might be to America right now, that new QB who we don't have a ton of tape on, it's going to be hard to prepare for Finley, and then you're getting back uh, AJ Green and the defense is coming together. I don't think it's impossible that the that the Bungles could steal this game. No, no, I don't. And I'm going to get mocked by Raven fans. And, you know, the I said the same thing today. I said I wouldn't pick it. I, first of all, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I'll say that. I, I, I'm not, I, I really do. It was a close game in Baltimore for the most part, um, you know. And the Ravens just don't play well against the Bengals. They never have. Uh, Marvin Lewis had John Harbaugh's number. Uh, they kind of played down to the Bengals this past, when they played like three or four weeks ago. And, Really, they needed Jackson to take over the game with his legs, and the Bengals just weren't athletic enough defensively to deal with them. I mean, it was, uh, you know, he was getting the edge on almost every play. He sensed he could run on every play if he wanted, and they still wouldn't have been able to stop him. However, you know, Dunlop supposedly healthier. You know, they have coming off a bye week, you always get a, get some juice from putting in a new quarterback, especially a rookie guy that probably will bring in some energy. Uh, we saw it, um, you know, we saw it with Denver this week. Between, you know, uh, Boyd, A.J. Green, Tate, Eifert, Mixon, this is not a team that doesn't have weapons offensively. Now, the offensive line stinks, and but the Ravens' pass rush, you know, isn't exactly been their strength either. So, yeah, no, I don't think it's impossible. I think it's a – I think I, – I, I was writing today. I think this is a huge challenge to Harbaugh. That was an emotionally and physically taxing game. Uh, there's a lot of banged up guys. I don't know that any missed this game Sunday, but uh, this is a you know this is a game, and we saw how much fresher the Ravens looked early than the Patriots. Well, the Patriots had a long run of games. The Ravens were coming off a of bye. You know, bye weeks help. I mean, mm-hmm. bye weeks charge teams. So yeah, I think it's a tough game. I mean, the Ravens really, I don't you know, Ravens seem to be struggling with the Browns the last couple of years. So I wouldn't call that a game. There's just too many roadblocks going forward for me to think that that week, you know, uh, 17 game in Baltimore against Pittsburgh won't mean something. Now, look, if the Ravens go and beat Cincinnati and, and the Bengals, or excuse me, the, the Steelers drop a game uh, against a tough opponent, the Rams, then you're starting to get a decent amount of separation. I don't know how many more games you have left or you cover, but 
Um, you know, I, I don't think it's impossible still that, that this division will still be up in the air with a couple weeks to go. Um, I, I could go on and on with you so many issues. And by the way, the AFC North, uh, the, the did you call it the whip around? Kabali, Bouchette, of whip course. Around, yeah. I'm looking at that uh, every week, of course. I'm up to speed with what you guys are doing. Great stuff. Um, on the athletic, one of the many reasons to subscribe to, to it, don't you know? You mentioned the defense for the Ravens. To me, it's not the Ravens' offense per se, but as they talk about with complementary football and, and so on, I wonder, that's kind of the thing to me, is it sustainable when the defense isn't dominant? If you're going to play nip and tuck and spin the clock, that's been my question, but it is weird. I have the Jenga theory, which is that if you take out the wrong piece, everybody's going to have injuries in the 21st century, but if you take out the wrong piece, the whole thing can implode. For some reason, Jimmy Smith is imbued with magic powers. When you drop him into that secondary, suddenly the Ravens' defense elevates. It seems like that's consistently the case, right? Oh, that's a great point. It's been kind of the story of Jimmy Smith's career when he's playing really well. Um, you know, they're playing well, and then he gets injured, and they stop playing well. Um, and, you know, I don't think Jimmy Smith is the same player as he was two or three years ago. I mean, the injuries, it's just been always something, and none of them are minor. I mean, it's every one of them seems to be pretty significant. Um, and he had kind of a tough training camp, and – he had kind of been rounding out in form late in training camp, the preseason. Then um, I think it was like the seventh or eighth defensive play of the year. He gets injured again, but yeah, he's kind of been the measuring stick when he's there and they played really well defensively, but what he does and what the Marcus Peters allows them to do is just, you know, they laugh. They just didn't have the personnel to disguise as much as they wanted to do to, to give as many looks as they wanted. This is not a team that has a very strong front seven. I mean, people don't want to hear it, but it's true. They don't have an elite pass rusher. Matthew Judon's a good player, and any NFL team would like to have him, but he's not a, a double-digit sack guy a year. Um, Terrell Suggs and Darius Smith aren't walking through that door anymore, you know? And Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce are great run stoppers, uh, but, you know, that's what they are. They're, they're not playing over 50% of the snaps. And then you got middle linebackers. They pretty much, other than the Wasu, who just came back, the other two guys, Fort and Bynes, they kind of picked up off the street. This is not your typical Ravens defense with a star on every level. Uh, they need their secondary to be great. Um, and to be that, they, they need all hands on deck. And, you know, you got Peters now in, in the mix. You got uh, Jimmy Smith back. I think um, Errol Thomas has really settled down and played well the last three or four weeks when he was struggling a little bit. Uh, him and Tony Jefferson kind of it didn't seem like something was missing there where they're both trying to, you know, kind of play off each other and, and do something that the other wasn't doing. It just wasn't working. Jefferson has a season ending injury and they kind of Chuck Clark's back there and he's kind of more of the stable guy uh, that, you know, you know where he's going to be. He's not going to make splash plays, but he's reliable. So uh, they, they look a little different on the back end, but that group's going to have to be really good because they just don't have as many disruptors in that front seven and guys who are going to make big plays. And this is going to be a defense that's going to give up yards. They're going to, it's, this is much more of a bend, but don't break defense than we've seen in Baltimore in the past. But when you mix those touchdowns, like they got one last, last night, they got two against the Seahawks and, and you, you're able to score points while holding teams to field goals more often than not, you're going to be in good shape. And 
it certainly helps when your offense keeps you on the sideline for eight, nine minutes at a time, too. So uh, that defense should be getting fresher. I think Martindale's doing a great job sort of patching things together. Uh, but this isn't an elite dominant defense by any means. I mean, you can't look at the personnel in their front seven and be wowed by it at all. It's, it's, it's some good, but not a lot of great. And you can claim, if nothing else, you still have the uh, the best kicker in the history of football, so says Bill Belichick. And I agree with him, as a matter of fact. And no matter what happens the rest of the way, Jeff, I like to remind Steelers fans, and I'm sure this goes for Ravens fans too, no matter what happens, it could always be worse. All you have to do is look left at the state of Ohio times two, and, uh, and, and we can always puff our chests out a little bit. It could always be worse. Thanks for the time, Jeff. Yes, sir. No problem. Well, thanks a lot for having me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Jeff Zrebeck, everybody. Make sure you're checking out his great work. You heard about the AFC North whip around and, of course, his focus on the Baltimore Ravens. It looks like headed towards an MVP uh, conversation, uh, head coach of the year. I certainly think that uh, that you have to make a case that uh, what they're doing offensively is worthy of assistant coach uh, with, uh, with Greg Roman. I think he's definitely the prohibitive favorite to get that award, the assistant coach of the year award. Uh, make sure you're checking out uh, Jeff's work on The Athletic. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Take care. Hi, this is Lindsay Jones, national NFL reporter from The Athletic. Join me and my co-host, Amy Perlapiano, twice a week for our NFL Power Rankings podcast. We get into the nitty-gritty parts of the league. We go through 1 through 32, the risers, the fallers. We listen to your comments. And then once a week for Athletic subscribers, we do a fun bonus podcast where we rank something else that's going on in the NFL. So look us up, the NFL Power Rankings podcast. Uh, We can't wait to have you listen. Good times. Thanks for Jeff doing that. I hope we can catch up with him, if not before, then before week 17 and oh, yeah. see if his uh, vision is true. I'm more skeptical, not about the Ravens, but about the Steelers' ability. Mm. I don't know how good they can be that would make week 17 relevant. But again, you know, Texans, after that Bengals game, Texans in Baltimore at the LA Rams, Niners at home, and then at the Bills. That is not an easy road to hoe. And by the way, at the Browns, remember, the Browns whipped them in Baltimore back in week four. And so what's the, what's to say that what, now that they're kind of out of things, that the mm-hmm. that they won't take on that devil-may-care attitude, the Browns, and give them another test there? So who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I do think that uh, all of a sudden now, even though they have the head-to-head loss to the Chiefs, now, all of a sudden, it's completely plausible, if not even likely, that uh, that the Ravens are going to get one of those buys. And like we told you last week, it's not enough to just make the playoffs if your hope is that you wind up in the Super Bowl because 17 out of the last 20 teams, I believe it is, had a buy in getting to the Super Bowl. So just getting into the postseason is not enough if you intend to be playing in Miami at Super Bowl 54. Now, uh, to help make better sense of all this that we're talking about, let's dig in a little bit deeper and get a more global view of things, at least on the AFC side of things, uh, as we await the Monday night kickoff with the Cowboys at the Giants. Let's talk with the host of the NFL Power Rankings podcast, Lindsey Jones. 
All right. I love uh, I love this person's work on social media. Make sure you follow her on Twitter. She's one of the better follows out there when it comes to pro football and her very fine twice weekly podcast here on The Athletic. The Tuesday episode for your notes is free to all the world and then subscribers only later on in the week. It is the NFL Power Rankings podcast. And I'm speaking of Lindsey Jones. How are you, Lindsey? I'm good, Dave. Thanks for having me. Certainly, certainly. Let's jump into it here. And uh, full disclosure, I said it at the top, we are recording on Monday, so we don't know the results of Giants and Cowboys. So let's focus more on the AFC side here, shall we, and see how you think these teams. There's a there's a hardy middle class going in the NFL 2019, and a lot of teams neck and neck fighting it out for those wild cards. Yeah, it's really interesting where I think you know, this year, more than any in recent memory, there's really a, you know, there's a small group of teams that have really separated themselves at the top. There's a small to medium sized group of teams at the very, very bottom. And then there's a whole bunch of teams where it's going to get real interesting over the next eight weeks. And, you know, especially in the AFC too, I just think that, you know, you know, really, you know, we, we know that the Patriots are going to be there because they're always there because the AFC East is generally a, you know, a dumpster fire after them. So you just know that the Patriots are going to be there right now. We know that the Ravens are going to be there. We have a pretty good sense that the chiefs are going to be there. But other than that, I think there's a lot, you know, I think there's, there's going to be a lot of intrigue for the two wildcard spots um, as well as the AFC South. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, I bemoan parody and always have, I'm a, I, I believe in meritocracy so much that I think that they should blow up March madness and just uh, make it a round Robin between the 16 best teams. But anyway, that's my worldview. And uh, it is interesting that in spite of all that middle-class parody, I feel like before we jump into the good, let's talk about the ugly in the NFL off the top of your head. Can you recall a season where there were this many apocalyptically atrocious teams? I don't mean underachieving. I mean, I mean, that would count for the Falcons and the Bears and the Browns, but and then the Dolphins and the Skins and and the Bengals. I mean, it's just it's just a mess. And the Jets, there are some really putrid teams out there. Yeah, it, it's really bad. And, you know, so in, uh, one of the features that we do on our podcast or our, our power rankings podcast is we kind of each week we go through our top five and our bottom five. And I've been having a really hard time just getting five teams because I feel like the bottom is hmm. so bad right now where, you know, last year it was always, you know, maybe two or three teams that were kind of consistently at the bottom. And now it's, you know, gosh, five, six, seven teams that really deserve to be in that conversation. And, you know, it's it's really interesting when you look at the really bad teams because, look, we've known that the Dolphins were going to be really bad. I mean, they pretty much laid this out for us starting last January when they kind of blew up their entire organizational structure. They made it clear that they were going to be shedding a lot of veteran salaries, you know, moving on from Cameron Wake and Ryan Tannehill and, you know, a lot of those those type of deals. So we knew that they were going to be bad. We knew they were on this kind of, you know, long-term rebuild. Some people call it tanking. But then there were all these other teams now that are kind of messing up the Dolphins' plan to mm. to tank and kind of have this clear path to to the bottom, you know, the bottom pick. Because, yeah, I mean, Washington is right in there. Cincinnati is right in there. The Jets, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how our power rankings for this week are going to turn out. It will change a little bit after Monday Night Football. 
But I think the Jets might be our number, our new number 32 team, just because they're a team that they spent so much money this offseason. They were major players in free agency. You know, they there was so much hype about, you know, Sam Darnold improving. And they're as bad, if not worse, than all of them. They are a bigger mess. So this is this is really wild. You know, I think what it's it's made it a really weird year for like survivor pools. I don't mm-hmm. know if you do if you're a survivor pool aficionado or not. But, you know, you know, last week I you know, I, I know of a pool my husband plays in one where there were there was nobody eliminated at all <laughs> in week eight. That's wild. <laughs> you know, because there's so many teams that you can kind of just pick against. And, you know, it's it's very interesting. Um I think the league probably hates this. I mean, the NFL probably more so than any of the other professional leagues really prides itself on being, uh, you know, any given Sunday about the parody. And that parody just doesn't exist this year. What You know what we need, Lindsay? Does. Your sign off could really help boost the profile of my 15 year old idea. Now, it is time for the loser bowl. And maybe the bottom two teams aren't even enough, given the way things are looking this season. Yeah. Give us like a 14 bracket or a something. whole tourney of this. Yes, you must play. Now, the NFL PA is going to stand in the way of this. It is a collision sport after all. However, I think that this would fill, as we get sad, as we start to, football fans, we start to, we get down in the dumps about how many games are left round about the title games. We only have two games and then the Super Bowl. I think I think we would be boosted significantly if the worst teams had to play each other for draft picks. I think uh, everybody would be engaged. Cynics say, who would want to watch that? Answer, everybody. You like watching football, well, you gonna- like watching this. Well, you'll get you'll get your wish a little bit because December twenty second is Bengals at Dolphins. Oh, I know. Week it. sixteen. I mean, everybody wants that for Christmas, right? Yes. I've already kind of pitched it as a game I want to go to because it's going to be that depressing. But at, at this point, <laughs> it's not just going to be those two teams. Now that the Dolphins have won a game, the you know that there's no clear it's it's there's no guarantee that that's going to be for the number one pick because there could be some weird tiebreaker scenarios but yeah i mean that's going to be a miserable game I mean, yeah can you imagine it's, it's so true all game? right so we we focused on ugly long enough let's talk about uh about good stuff first of all i assume the ravens have now vaulted past the patriots in your uh in, in this week's rankings you would think, right? Mm. <laughs> we'll see. I have a feeling. Um, so the, the fun part about the way we do our power rankings is that it has my byline on it. Um, and my editor, uh, Amy Parlapiano, she picks the gifts. We do the podcast together. But it's our entire national NFL staff that votes. So there's, you know, eight or ten voters per week, depending on how many people actually fill out their ballots on time. Um, so it's not. So it's kind of this composite of the votes. And you know, it's Monday afternoon, full disclosure. We've been looking through. Some people still are tinkering with their ballots, but I think those Ravens fans might be really mad at us. Um, my own personal, my own personal ballot, I did have the Ravens ahead of the Patriots. Um, I put the Ravens at three, the Patriots at four. Um, but it's definitely something that people are going to be screaming and yelling about us in the comments, I'm guessing, and probably a big discussion. On oh, our you're going to definitely get heat for that. But I'll tell you this, oh, yeah. if... That when they come out of the bye, the Patriots, now that we see and we'll follow these trends, now that they have been manhandled by that Ravens run game, if they come out of the bye and the Eagles do the same to them, now we're really, now just throw them all in a hat and start picking out names of who's going to emerge um, and get to the Super Bowl from either side. But let's talk about who's going to get the wild card too. I feel like 
the Steelers are the X factor of the wild card. And here's why they have already dealt now with, uh, with, with the benefit of an Adam Vinatieri miss in Heinz field on Sunday. They now have that head to head. They beat the chargers. Everybody laughed a week ago when I said that the chargers would beat the Packers, but now that's happened too. the chargers still have two games left with the Raiders. I assume that they're going to at least split with them and knock them down a little bit. The Raiders are kind of also very quietly. I know everybody is cynical about them, but I feel like if you look at what they have coming up here, maybe two losses, maybe three, um, they have a real shot at it. And the Steelers still get to play the Bills. And if the Bills slide back, which they are going to, because if you look at how their schedule sets up, they're going to fall back a little bit. They're in line for maybe five to... Uh, six losses, the or for, they're in line for six to seven total losses. They only have the two right now. So anyway, that's my thoughts. Nobody cares what I think. We're we're talking to you. Yeah. Put those teams in order for me. Not Oof. necessarily now, but how do you think it shapes up come January in yeah, terms of I wild card? S- Gosh, yeah. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, before Sunday morning, I would have. You know, I would have said the uh, that the wild cards would have been the Bills and the Colts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not as set on that right now. I still think that the Colts, this Jacoby Brissett injury situation is going to bear watching too. It sounds like they've gotten kind of best case scenario, like a, mm-hmm. a mild MCL sprain, so it shouldn't be a lengthy absence. Um, I I still think that there's kind of something special about this Colts team. And if he doesn't miss extended time, you know, I'm not ready to to write the Colts off right now. But you are right about these tiebreaker scenarios where, you know, the Colts, the Colts are an Adam Vinatieri, two Adam Vinatieri misses basically away from having beat the Chargers who are going to be in that wild card mix. And now the Steelers Mm -hmm. who are also going to be in that wild card mix. Well, look, at I mean, here's how it sets up. And by the way, the other thing, that yesterday's Vinatieri miss does is it kind of flips what the narrative is for at minimum this coming week because Vinatieri makes that this now we're talking about the Colts plainly the team of destiny on the AFC side their backup gets hurt and then the third stringer comes in on the road against the good Steelers defense no matter they win that game they would be sitting at six and two they'd be ahead of the Texans and the Texans would be looking at a second half of the schedule without J.J. Watt as it is for the Colts they go you know, they have the, the the Dolphins coming up, then the Jags pay him a visit. But at the Texans, that's everything. Probably whoever wins that game, well, probably is maybe a little strong, but that game is, uh, is what goes without saying, is monstrously important. And then after that, the, the one really tough one they have down in New Orleans in mid-December, then they finish at home with Carolina, and then they go down to Jacksonville, who may be rudderless by that point, but then those teams get dangerous. So, yeah, I'm with you about the Colts um, for the most part, and I love that defense, and I love that O-line, and I don't think either one's going anywhere the rest of the season. So I'm with you on the Colts. All of a sudden, though, the Bills aren't stopping the run. What do you think their prospects are? Yeah, they're, it's, it's interesting because I still think that their schedule – is there there's there's a lot of that's favorable about their schedule although a couple of those games look a little bit more difficult now i mean they have to you know they they have to play the broncos who i i live in denver i see 
probably more of the Broncos than I would like to from yeah, the, but weird in, in team though. They've, they've had they're, they're they're a mixed bag. There could be you could make a case that their defense is legit. Right, really good. their defense is legitimately really good. That game is in Buffalo. The Broncos always play really terribly in Buffalo, but you know they have to play the Cowboys um, coming up. They've got you know it's not as super easy, but they do have another game against the Dolphins. They They do have another game against the Jets. They have to play the Ravens. They have to play the Steelers. They have to play the Patriots again. So, yeah, I mean, I I could see them slipping out of that. I just I'm wondering exactly where that wild card threshold is going to be. Is it going to be nine wins? Is it going to take ten wins to get in to get that second wild card um, or to get those two wild cards? So, I, I still think that that they're going to get it. That they're going to get one of them. Uh, you know, we'll see if I'm proven wrong <laughs> here down the line. Mm. But. Um, yeah, I think I guess I'm still I still think like my gut is telling me Colts bills, but I would not be surprised if you're on to something with the Steelers and then an AFC West I, th- I think you whether just, it's the Chargers or Raiders. I think it's funny to to remove the the team brands and just say what the threshold is, because that's exactly right. I think if it is 10, then I think you're you're right, because the way the schedule set up. The Bills have put themselves in a great spot at six and two, so they can afford some losses. They do have that four-game stretch that's brutal. The easiest game uh, uh, of the four is at Pittsburgh. If Pittsburgh dumps them and the Bills find themselves at seven, then the Steelers would have that tiebreaker. This is all assuming a great deal, but if Pittsburgh did that and they got to nine and seven, then they would have tiebreakers over them, the Colts, and the Chargers, and they would be in really nice shape there. Um, if it's 10, though, that's too tall in order for the Chargers at this point, very likely for Pittsburgh. And then I think it does settle where you go. And then the, then the other wild card there is because nobody we, we don't want to do it. We don't want to buy it. But John Gruden and yeah. Derek Carr without a B. And then that's the other question I love to ask is where would the Raiders be right now if 84, if everything were hunky dory <laughs> and that had worked out? Where would this team yeah. be? Would they, could they be any better? I mean, I wonder if they'd be five and three. Wonder if that would have been worth a victory, and then we would really, really be singing songs about uh, about what Derek Carr is doing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always going to be that weird, like what could have been, because their offense is not bad. I mean, there's a, actually a lot of things to like about their mm-hmm. offense. Josh Jacobs is legit. I mean, I think he's going to be the offensive rookie of the year at this point. I don't think anybody, you know. You know, maybe one of the rookies. I don't think Gardner Minshew or Kyler Murray is going to take that right now. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's going to be that one of those just real missed opportunities and to imagine what that was going to be. But yeah, you look at their schedule. Look, they've got Thursday night football this week against the Chargers. Um, I think that's kind of a flip game. I think the Chargers are actually favored in that game. I which think that's I'm a, a huge surprised. one, though. I, I I think that is another circle that one because yeah, if the Chargers well, those Thursday the Raiders, games are can right. be weird, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they've got the Bengals and the Jets on back-to-back weeks. They're going to have the Chiefs on the road. Patrick Mahomes should be back. Um, but then they've got the Titans, the Jags, the Chargers again, and the Broncos. I mean, the, really the only game out of that where I look and I say, oh, they definitely aren't going to win that game is that that game at Kansas City mm-hmm. on December 1st. But the rest of those, I mean, if we're talking 10 wins, they're at what? They're at four wins right now. I don't see why the Raiders couldn't get, I think that, get up to that threshold. They kind of should get to 10, and it kind of depends on Phil Rivers knocking down the Raiders twice 
and yeah. the Chargers loom. You cannot, you can't bury them yet, even though they have the toughest path la- path left. Because if Bosa and Ingram are healthy, as I will always say, they have a shot in the game. And then if you throw Derwin James in after the bye, then they really yeah. get scary. Last thing for you, Lindsay, very quickly, because I know you you enjoy uniforms, and uh, there are a few things I like talking about on the planet Earth more than <laughs> than uniforms. Just to see where your head's at. Give me a win play show. You can do it any way you want. Ooh. You can go Cur- current all, or you know, all time. First of all, since you're in Denver, I don't want to be hyperbolic. That was one of the great eyesores in pro football history <laughs> that we saw a mile high on Sunday, right? The, I mean, the Broncos should have just gone all in and worn their orange pants, too. So you know, if you didn't see it, it was the Browns went all brown, yeah. and then the Broncos went their traditional, you know, their their normal home with the orange jerseys, white pants. The Broncos should have just said, screw it, let's wear orange What if they had done their head to toe orange? I don't, I don't know that my eyeballs would have ever come back from that. Yeah, no, that was it was not great. And I um, it's a controversial take. I put this out there on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Um, I wish the Broncos would go back to their. Uh, I actually really like like the Navy and white Navy jerseys, white pants. It's not that was bad. there. Yeah, I mean, I I liked when they switched back to their um, in 2012. They went they made the orange their um, their main home jersey. And I was in favor at the time. It was kind of a, you know, to be unique and a branding thing, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just. The more I think about it, the more I look at it, the more I really like those Navy. I don't know what it is. It doesn't doesn't look right. All these years in, your eye adjusts to most uniforms and you accept them at some point. That orange jersey on the Broncos in the current design just don't make sense to these eyes. Yeah. And there's been a couple different shades. I mean, this is getting like in the weeds. Yeah, no, I love it. There's like there's like a almost a fluorescent orange and Mm. then there's like a real like Halloween. Like I just it's not it hasn't been my favorite. Long term, if we were talking like the orange crush, give me that one. Give me that one over all the other. Can I tell you the best one? Broncos uniforms. They're AFL. Have you ever not the brown and gold, which is a little overstated how ugly it is. People get obsessed by the the vertical striping on the socks, but the uniform looks pretty nice. But okay, that's belongs to the Padres now. That color scheme. The orange, the best one they ever did was the AFL when they had the orange hats and the orange jersey with the blue sleeves, and it had that kind of Don Quixote kind of looking horse with the with the yeah. guy on the back of it. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? I do. I like that one. I mean, my my favorite helmet there is the the uh, with the D on it, kind of the the Elway era. Yeah, where the Broncos blowing 90s. his nose. But I know into I like nowhere, that right? one. Yeah, I do. But I do like that kind of the goofy, the goofy cartoonish. Um, uh, horse that you're talking about um i almost called it a donkey which is what my dad grew up in colorado my dad calls them the donkeys i uh (laughs) i you know my cross to bear somebody who loves uniforms the teams i dislike the most in sports happen to have the best uniforms i wonder if you as a broncos soul or at least living in denver can you concede that the raiders still have glorious uniforms I do. Yeah. And actually, since you bring up the uniforms, we did this as our bonus podcast last week. We had Paul Lucas from UniWatch on our mm. um, on our bonus episode. And we went through and yeah, I actually had in my top five, I had the classic Raiders, the black with the silver numbers because I just they're just so iconic. You they know? can't be beaten. So, That's it. Right. I, they're so cool. Um, and I actually really like the Chargers. Um, I like kind of all iterations of it. The powder blues are the best, obviously, but um, 
I didn't hate the Navy now Navy that they wore the other day. It kind of reminds me of the like, yeah, you know, like the Stan Humphreys era Chargers. Um, don't I, 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 like I don't those, like the Stan really Humphrey like... Chargers anything. They broke my heart once in the mid nineties. <laughs> as... And I really like the white helmet with the yellow bowl. Well, you can't beat that. The to. one that gets forgotten too easily. Air Coriel, Dan Fouts, Chuck Muncie, Wes Ooh. Chandler, John Jefferson, Kellen Winslow era, the gold pants with the white yeah. jersey and the blue hat. And the thing that they get right versus all the other Chargers incarnations are that the lightning bolt replaces the regular striping. They do now. They they have the lightning bolt, but then they have the it inside of a regular stripe. But that, yeah. It's replaced that. Now you've but now you've created redundancy. You know, <laughs> I don't many, get it. Too many stripes. Too many stripes. Yeah. I've talked about it with uh, the Chargers. They like, don't care. I like all of the AFC West generally. Like, you know, the Chiefs, have, you know, they're very classic mm-hmm. too. Um, and I like when they do the red on red. Um, I think that's very cool. So I think the AFC West has, you know, maybe top to bottom, some really strong, um, especially strong historical uh, uniforms. So, yeah, I, I like talking about uniforms. <laughs> you, uh, can get, you can get me going about this. Oh, yeah, it's time. a 50-50 thing. Half the half the sports fan world loves it. The other half gets angry. How dare you talk about this? Well, you only have to look <laughs> at it for every second that you're watching the game. Why would it possibly matter what they're wearing? Of course it matters. It's, it's, it's immeasurably important. It's what draws people in to liking a team very often. Anyway, I don't, I don't want to get uh, off on a tangent. I'll just say this, uh, Lindsay, like I said at the top there, big fan of, uh, of what you're doing at The Athletic and on social media and otherwise. The NFL Power Rankings Podcast is where it's at. Make sure you check it out on two Tuesdays, we'll see how it all shakes out if the Cowboys emerge victorious over the Giants, how high up they move on Lindsay's rankings, and uh, and appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me. Take good care. Oh, man, I could talk uniforms for four hours straight. Yeah. I'm so, uh, now, now I'm suddenly disappointed Lindsay didn't call me when she was power ranking you uniforms. Know, well, maybe you'll get the next one, or maybe we'll start a new podcast where that's all we do is talk uniforms. I could make a go of that. I could easily, especially if we expanded it beyond just pro football. You start digging in on college football and baseball. Well, you know the sports, but yeah, I could, <laughs> I could, I, I once did a, I once uh, about, I think it was six years or so ago, five, six years ago, I ranked one through 122 wow. at that time. That's how many professional sports uh, teams there were in the U.S. Um, among NBA, NFL, MLB, and NHL, and I ranked them all out, and uh, I, I don't know if we added an extra team or two since then. I think we have either way worthy of an update. I think the LA um, Golden Knights, or the Las Vegas Golden Knights, rather, oh, yeah, they would be they, a new one. Right. Be a new one. Can I ask you can, if you remember who your top NBA team was or your top baseball team was? Let's go outside of football. Well, I know that off the top of my head, I've always admired the Dodgers home whites. Why? Because of the red numbers. It makes no sense. Why did they put a red number on there? If you take that away and turn it blue like the rest of the uniform, then they're the Kansas City Royals. However, you put the red number on the white and blue, somehow it pops out and makes it distinct. Patriotic. Well, I don't know if if that's the thing, but yeah, yeah, okay. I'll buy that. And uh, I loved... 
that my most hated team, like you heard me say to Lindsay, the teams I like the least are the ones that tend to have the best uniforms. The Philadelphia Flyers have glorious mm. uniforms. I don't uh, loathe them. They're my most hated team in sports. But I can't argue. I can't deny that those uh, that that orange and black just looks uh, looks divine. And then I hate the Penn State Nittany Lions. But those those uniforms. You like those? There's yeah. not there's not much to those. No, indeed. Less is more in okay. college football, and I love that look. I get. I think you're a minimalist because Dodgers not much going on there too. Um, yeah, I like the uh, I like the old uh, Toronto Raptors jerseys with the actual uh, dinosaur on the. Oh, on the <laughs> See, this is yeah. why some people are turned to for their for their sartorial takes, mm. and and then uh, and then that. I'll, ex- I'll excuse myself. Should we wrap the show? Let's do it. Uh, but uh, first, a muzzle tub to Quincy once again. Great times await you. I always say. The first five years are the best because then they don't have any outside influences. Once they start bringing home stuff that their friends tell them at fr- in first grade and everything, then they stop being their own unique self. But those first five years, Quincy, you shall see. Every two to four weeks, it will occur to you. Man, I just hope that she stays exactly like this. And then you'll be like, oh, no, forget what I said uh, two months ago. Now, this is where I want uh, I want her to stay forever. Well, I'll take all that home. I can't wait to see how she ends up growing up over the next five years. And then once that fifth year come, yeah. Yeah, then you just turn her over to her peer group and uh, let them raise her from there. But these next five years are going to be fun. Uh, anyway, thank you, Zuri. Thank you, Quincy. Thanks to Jeff Zrebeck. And uh, thanks to Lindsey Jones. We'll be back in a couple of days for you to get you ready for NFL Week 10. We'll do our confidence pool as we do every week. We encourage and demand that you join and play along with us for a handsome prize. If you are good enough to defeat me and everybody else playing, we'll do all that in a couple of days, like I say. Until then, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.